Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 178 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am not going to dilly-dally around here for very long today because it's ridiculously busy over here. Lana will be here soon to get started working. She's been a taskmaster these last couple of weeks, so I need to be on my A game and ready to work when she shows up. But I do have a couple of things I want to tell you about. Number one, this Saturday is Rocktoberfest. That's the annual fundraising event for the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition. I've emceed that event since the very beginning. This year it's virtual. I'm still involved in a couple of ways. And this event is the main big fundraiser for the coalition. It's how they've purchased these giant tracts of land that they've given to the community to keep access open for climbing. And I think that's an incredibly important venture, especially with the popularity of the Red River Gorge, to be able to spread people out um, huge for the, the land itself. So if you can support Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition and Rocktoberfest. You can find a link to register right there in your show notes, in your pocket supercomputers. And I will be having a conversation with Ashima Shureshi. I will also be running a climbing trivia event along with Lana. There will be prizes for the climbing trivia. So, Get in there and get registered. All right, on to the next. Time is running out here. Lana's on her way, I'm sure. That freaks me out a little bit. All right, today's guest is a legend in this game. That's not even debatable. Paul Piana is also someone who welcomed me into this Lander community eight or nine years ago in a, in a really warm way. And Paul was one of my heroes when I was in my formative years of climbing. I'm air quoting here because I'm still formative. And I've been very privileged over the years to be able to call Paul a friend, to be able to sit down and have conversations just like this one. And this one is especially important for me. You'll hear in the interview that Paul is a little worried about starting to lose his memories. And I feel like it's part of my duty to collect and preserve these memories. So I'm, I'm very proud to have this conversation on record for all of you. And this came about in a really interesting way. I was in the building that used to house uh, Paul and Todd's Woody here in Lander where they, they trained. And I noticed that there were boxes and boxes and boxes of these Sierra Club books stacked up in the corner. And I asked Amy Skinner about them and she told me that at a time when Paul was in a bit of a financial situation years and years ago, she helped him out by purchasing 
every copy of his book that he had available. And his book is published by the Sierra Club Books in 1997 called Big Walls, Breakthroughs on the Free Climbing Frontier. It's a large format, hardcover, full color book with photographs by a who's who of climbing photographers at the time, Galen Rowell, Bill Hatcher, Beth Wald, a foreword by Royal Robbins, and it details the planning and the climbing of these these big objectives that Todd and Paul dreamt of and and used to to push our understanding and our belief in free climbing on big walls forward. His writing is actually one of the things that really drew me to Todd and Paul as people that I looked up to when I was coming up and climbing. And we have those books. We have a limited number of those books. We had Paul sign them while Paul was here in town, and we have those for sale up on the website right now at powercompanyclimbing.com slash paul-piana. Go get those now. Like I said, limited number of those signed copies. And we are taking none of the proceeds from this. Um, It will be split between helping Amy Skinner recoup some of her cost as well as helping out the Todd Skinner Legacy Fund. And that's something that Amy started here in Lander. It's a scholarship program that anyone can apply for. Uh, You can find info in the show notes. And it's to provide expedition support, cultural and educational support, and publication and film support to the scholarship winners. And like I said, you can find out more information right there in your show notes. Uh, There is a link in your pocket supercomputer. So go check that out. Go get the book. There's a limited number. And I would guess these are going to go pretty damn quickly. All right. Paul and I at my house, we start this conversation talking about his recent retirement. Let's get into it. My dad, for some reason, gave me a briefcase. So here I was in sixth and seventh grade carrying a briefcase with my climbing books in it. It was a nice big chunk of money to pay yeah. off stuff, you know. Now you can get out into the needles more. And oh, well, I more. can. Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. part of the plan? Are you going to get out climbing more? Yeah, I mean, not as much as I used to. Sure. And I'm not really looking to do things hard. I just, you know, because I'm in not very good shape. And I'm very arthritic. Mm. And... <clears throat> All sorts of geezer infirmities. <laughs> well, and you're you're climbing in the same area now that you learned mm-hmm. to climb in, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. You know, one of the things I want to talk to you about is uh, two of the things actually: big dreams and and partnerships, and how those two things kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And when you started, you had these really these mentors that made a big difference 
in your climbing life? Ren Fenton and Paul Mule, was that his name? Well, he was later, but I had, uh, there were some older climbers, older to me when I was 12 and 14. Yeah. Um, There was a guy named Charlie Bear that was a local. Mm. And these guys would uh, get together with, there was occasionally, outing clubs at the School of Mines or Black Hill State. And there would be groups of people that Charlie and this guy named Doc Van Heuvelin, who was ancient. Hmm. He was probably in his late 50s then. <laughs> um, but he, uh, they would gather these students and go out and climb. And then, he, you know, they were doing just easy climbs, sure. pump, summit bagging, having fun, yeah. and climbing harder than I was by a long shot. You know, because I didn't know what to do until right. Ren came. I found him and pestered him enough. Yeah. And then every August, this was later, but Bob Camps and Mark Powell and Dave Rarick would come and Goldstone from the East. Right. And um, mostly I just kind of watched and listened because they kind of didn't come there to sh- to drag a little kid around, you know, mm-hmm. but it was really neat to see what they did and how they did it, do it, did it. It was pretty cool. When, when you were like first pestering Ren and, and him taking you under his wing, was he at that time interested in difficulty? Was he trying to climb harder and harder things or was it purely a I just want to go out and have these adventures. I think at that point, he wasn't very old then, but he was already really a bad alcoholic. Mm. And he loved to climb, but he wasn't trying to do new routes or um, do harder climbs. Right. He was. He enjoyed doing uh, some of the climbs he pioneered and then other ones. that. And I think he would have preferred a better partner because i remember once showing me he was showing me how to actually tie in with the climbers knots you know right. not just square knots and stuff right. you know <laughs> but uh the things he taught me probably saved me a couple of times sure you know? yeah. yeah i think that's one of the big values of mentorship mm-hmm. that you know we we tend to overlook now because there's so much information out there about here's how you do this safely. Here's, you know, you can Google it and mm-hmm. find anything now. So that passed down knowledge mm-hmm. doesn't happen in the same way that it used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was all pitons. There were right. no. And one day, Ren had ordered from RAI, I think, some, and they came, just those ancient nuts that you threaded. They mm-hmm. didn't, you know, it was just like you could do five or 50 of them on a sling. They're just like aluminum wedges with holes in them, yeah. And I thought, you got to be kidding. You know, that's not going to (laughs) hold. But I, and I don't know that he or I ever fell on one, but um, I just went, oh God, this isn't going to sell, you know. And now, geez, you never see pitons used very much. In the needles you do if you're doing first ascents, but... Mm -hmm. um, that's just because of the nature of the rock. Sure. <laughs> God, ridiculous. We used to go out and like, wow, look at that. There's a piton up there. And we'd climb the thing just to get the pitons. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I was out 
hunting around uh, an area we've been bouldering in for a few years now and came across this kind of steep wall, maybe 40 to 60 feet tall. And it's got all these big horizontal cracks running through it. And sure enough, there's a piton, a couple of pitons. Really? Up on the wall, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, super interesting to see that, you know, climbers have been searching this stuff out. And you were just showing us photos on your phone of this limestone cliff that you found and Mm -hmm. you know if you scroll through my phone it looks exactly the same there's just Mm -hmm. photos of random rocks that i come across and i have to take a photo of you know so there's just this this innate love that we have for Mm -hmm. exploration and yeah that was really i was delighted deb could care less exactly yeah we were just having a picnic with the puppies and it was just a sunny, cool day, you know, but it was really pretty. And in here, I'm going, wow. Yeah. When did this come? You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're expecting like a plant that comes out of the soil <laughs> right. overnight, you know. It's like, wow. This just grew here. Yeah. And the, and you look at that and you think, this is this is just as good as Spearfish Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, man. Yeah. So I've I've told a couple people about it, but I haven't told them where it is yet. <laughs> yeah, keep it secret. <laughs> yeah. That's a good plan. Yeah, and I'm not <sighs> fit enough, frankly, to climb on that kind of rock or here. It'd mm-hmm. be devastating because I have no jip. But yeah, but geez, you still have to go out there and do a little reconning. <laughs> yeah, you have to. So in your book, Big Walls, um, I read about you having a photo of. Royal Robbins, um, I think in your dorm room and you know, this, this ties into this whole having these mentors, you know, watching these people have these adventures, you know, go on these, these big grand expeditions and that photo of, of Royal that you had on your dorm room wall, Mm -hmm. um, it reminded me of something that Galen Rao used to say about having phantom mentors, mm-hmm. you know, people that that were your mentors from afar that maybe you hadn't even met at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. And Galen Rao was one of my phantom mentors. Um, and I just I loved everything he did photography and adventure-wise. And you and Todd were phantom mentors for me, you know, reading all these things in Ohio and you know, kind of, kind of hitching my dreams onto, onto what you and Todd were doing and Galen was doing. And until that picked up enough steam that my own dreams could start to develop on their own, you know, and I think it's so important to have those, those people to hitch your, your thoughts and ideas and dreams onto, you know, was, was Royal that way for you? Is that why that photo showed up? I think, I think you said the photo was of him on Half Dome. Um, yeah, I had that kind of phantom mentors. Yeah. Uh, there were, there were only climbers really in the Black Hills Needles in August. Right. And then there'd be some college kids from Black Hills. But the thing that really got me was my dad had business often in Denver, and sometimes he'd take the family down. Mm. And there was a a motel with a nice pool and 
good place for kids. Yeah. And I went down and I'd already become a climber. Right. Which means I probably haven't climbed anything even as 5-0 at that time because mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that meant. Anyway, I pestered him to take me to a mountain climbing store. Right. And we went to uh, Boulder and went to Jerry Mountain Sports. And it was kind of like Hollya Bar. Um, they made down jackets, sleeping bags. And they also, they even had carabiners made with their name right. on it and pitons. And so I went down there and I, I had probably had $15 or something. And I went down and it was really difficult to, I didn't get any hard iron because it was too expensive, Mm -hmm. but I bought some, you know, 50 cent pitons of different shapes and a couple carabiners, Jerry Mountain Sports carabiners. But what really did it, more important than, and I didn't have a rope yet either. I'd use Rand's ore, literally, just like the old timers said, hemp piece of rope. Yeah. And it was about a three-eighths inch uh, laid rope. Yep, whatever you could get your hands on. I took it much. through a pulley. I took the pulley apart to have the rope, and it was about <laughs> 35 feet long. Anyway, what, what really inspired me was I bought... Uh, the first ascent, which was 1967, and a couple books. And one was, I still have it, it's called Rock Climbers in Action in Snowdonia. Hmm. And I got that, and I think Christian Bonington's I Chose to Climb, hmm. and then this Ascent magazine. And those pictures and stories jacked me up beyond any climb I could have done for decades because they'd, you know, do whatever they could when they'd be able to take that one day a week off to go climbing and they'd leave their wives and their family and everything and get two people on a motor scooter and go. Mm -hmm. And the, the climbs they did were pretty damn impressive. Yeah. And I just, the philosophy of that I chose to climb and those black and white pictures of these people way out, you know, and that wow. And it, the black and white photos reminded me of the needles because it's often quite black and white there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and those guys were my real heroes. And Royal was kind of really um, not secondary, but the, those Brits really those photos you know they were the rock climbers i think really the first they were really psyched because they had these little ratty cliffs yeah and and they were very interested in mm -hmm. difficulty doing things that were harder being the first to do something Mm -hmm. and on wanting to like in royal fit in with the one-upmanship you Mm -hmm. know yeah and even you know more uh well i i want to say the other climbers I met later that like Bob Camps and Mark Powell and those guys, and they, they, uh, were more subtle in their criticism, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it was really fun. You know, it was just fun to hear that. And it was good times, but then they would go, go home and you wouldn't see them until the next August. 
do you remember a, a moment or a time or some sort of linchpin that allowed you to start thinking, oh, I can do the things that they do, mm. that I'm, I'm ready for that stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, Ren would take me climbing, and um, I could always get up everything he led, mm-hmm. and I learned that my kids didn't work very well, which are like tennis shoes. Right. But uh, in seventh grade, when wrestling started, you could get kids brand uh, um, I'm, 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 I have like trouble. wrestling shoes. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so with and they like were the, pretty the good. super soft sole. They look kind of like EBs. Not a whole lot of structure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but they work pretty well. Yeah, and uh, I could follow whatever he was willing to lead at that time, mm. and that was really fun. But I had no idea what a grade was like at five eight five a million. Right, and the Brits, you know, we called things severe and hard severe my right, little buddies sure. and i that and we didn't even know what we were saying because that's what you're reading about yeah and we just assumed that it was we <laughs> we, we could admit to climbing severe but not hard severe right <laughs> but we didn't know what it meant exactly <laughs> and i still have those books they're pretty worn out i had a, my dad for some reason gave me a briefcase so here i was and sixth and seventh carrying grade carrying a briefcase around. with my climbing <laughs> books in it <laughs> yeah you knew it was going to become a a lifelong mm-hmm. thing yeah and it's still these. it's just and still just thinking about doing certain things inspires me mm-hmm. and i think back on those old books you know i read about my adventures that's and then i make uh, believe I was doing those climbs, you know? Yeah. Well, I, th- that, I think it's so important for people to document those adventures mm-hmm. and those big dreams, whether it's success or failure on those big adventures. It's so important to have that documentation and to allow someone to read that and then build their own adventures on top of it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's something I think has gone the same way of mentorship that's sort of disappearing, you know, and it's so easy to just put out a, a video of your your recent adventure and not really have to think deeply about it in order to write a story about it that, you know, is going to convey that emotion, that feeling, that adventure to the people reading it and, you know, give them this, this bigger dream, mm-hmm. you know? So, and I appreciate you taking all the time to write out your adventures, your dreams, you know, and in articles and books and because it allows other people to, mm-hmm. to dream on top of that. Well, in fact, I've been looking forward to, being retired because I thought there are a lot of stories I haven't told and I'd like to tell those stories before, um, my mind goes, I actually have a, some kind of problem. I can't remember what it's called, but it's kind of like senility. Mm, It's a little coming on a little early, Mm. but it's kind of scary 
I bet. So I'm if if I'm halting, that's because I can't. Sure. Uh, find the word. Yeah. So, but I would like to tell some of the stories, big and small, mm-hmm. before, you know, similar to that. Right. These short stories, really. Yeah. Except they are mostly true. <laughs> mostly, and that and that's important that they're only mostly true. Yeah. You know. <laughs> And, and I'm I'm glad you are thinking about putting those things out there because I think, mm-hmm. like I said, those adventures and those written stories mean so much for the imagination, for the, you know, the climber who's just starting to dream mm-hmm. on their own and starting to understand, oh, I've been reading about these mythical heroes and maybe I can do the same things that they did, mm-hmm. you know, when when I was beginning to crack climb and, you know, really digging into that world, it was you and Todd, it was Huden and Jones, you know, um, Kalkenbacker, you know, my partners and I would pretend that we were those people when we were out mm-hmm. adventuring. I did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Even those, some of those people were younger than me, but I still mm-hmm. pretended to be them because they were so damn good. Yeah. You know, and I, uh, see a picture, just a picture of them doing something. Wow. That, that's the, the way it looks is what I want to feel. Right. Yeah. Yep. And hopefully it would be, uh, mastery, not terror. Yeah. But often it was terror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With a, with a brief moment of mastery and that's when the photos mm-hmm. snapped. Yeah. Yeah. You look at the, <laughs> and then the next day you go out climbing and there's, there's no mastery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that'd be funny. Oh. Yeah. But it was, it was cool. And I still do that. I see these young guys like Chris Hirsch. Gee, my knees. Mm-hmm. They're so good. Yeah. You know, and it probably happens to every micro generation absolutely and you're just going holy cow and it it, you know why we couldn't climb harder early i don't know we didn't believe i think yeah well you know chris hirsch has all of these you know training grounds already Mm -hmm. created for him you Mm -hmm. know all these people have done these 511s 512s 513s and and he can build off of those into something bigger, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the necessity of what, what you guys, what Kalkenbacker, what, you know, Huden and Jones did. Mm-hmm. When you met Todd, <clears throat> you met him at, uh, UW, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Were, did he have the same dreams or was he kind of just learning what, what that was all about well he had uh, in, in, in well in a way i don't think he was thinking of becoming a great rock climber it was it was fun yeah but his dad and his uncle courtney right think, were really influential mm-hmm. courtney having gone to uh winter over the south pole a number of times yeah and they'd done climbing and his dad was a survival instructor during World War II. And, well, actually, just, I think, just right after that, but definitely the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And uh, just all of those adventures. And they were in the mountains. And there was a guy, Kent 
Holly could tell you the name of this guy. I can't think of it now, but he was one of the very last true mountain men. Hmm. You know, he wore skins and lived in the mountains always. Right. And he had these little cabins built all over. And they were just lean-tos, essentially. And Clem, their granddad, would give Bob to this trapper and say, well, just take the boy for the season and oh, wow. let him learn. Yeah. He didn't say teach him. He said, let him learn. Right. And that's one way they became such good guides up there is because Bob knew all the, and then Courtney and, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, they taught survival, you know, in the military. And they just had, uh, you know, they weren't saying, oh, gee, I wish we could be the first to climb the, the nose. They weren't so interested in that. But they did do this, I want to say, second or third ascent of Shiprock. Oh, wow. By a I didn't new know route. That. Yeah, a partial new route. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, really cool stuff. Yeah. So Todd had the adventure already built in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you can imagine having the whole wind rivers when you're a kid. Right. You know, of course they had to chop wood. And one of the jobs that Todd didn't like, um, it had, have you ever been to their camp? I haven't. Well, they had these, you know, an outhouse, but they had like four holers. Yeah. You know? Yep. <laughs> and Todd's job was to make sure they were stocked with necessities. And yeah. if they were clean and his job was to every day take some slurry of lye mm -hmm. and around the rings, wash the rings, yeah. yeah. And then he forgot to get some fresh water to flush all that off. And he and it wasn't like thirty seconds. He went over here to oh, get a no. bucket, <laughs> and his uh, 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 uncle Monte, who was really grouchy. <laughs> came in and sat there and he took a while you know reading or something and then it started to burn and yep. blister you know todd skinner and then he said a lot of other different kind of words <laughs> oh i think that that was one of my favorite stories yeah well <laughs> just fitting that it happened to the grouchy uncle yeah too, so. yeah <laughs> Anyway, well, he, he's a really nice guy, but he just had a sour persona, yeah. you know, but he was, he was a really good guy. He was just, and if he was mad, he wasn't really good. <laughs> yeah. You need to have those, especially in a family full of big personalities. Mm -hmm. You got to have the grouchy one. So Vitavu is what you guys had, mm -hmm. which isn't exactly the winds. Mm -mm. You know, there's nothing big in Vitavu. Mm. Is that where you and Todd really start, or you, you met Todd there, but did the two of you really start focusing on difficulty at that point? Because, you know, Vitavu's pretty well, small, even by mm -hmm. one pitch standards. Yeah. Well, for me, um, it was new roots more than anything. Mm. And when I was at school the first time, I uh, had... Probably the hardest thing I climbed there was fall wall. Mm -hmm. And I um, noticed Spider God, the direct start essentially to fall wall. <clears throat> and I dreamed about that for four years. Yeah. 
And there's a friend of mine, Doug, Doug Cairns. He was a really good climber, probably still is. I just haven't seen him forever. And he was doing some hard climbs there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Coloradans were. Anyway, I thought about that for four years. And I remember coming back on leave and going climbing with Doug. And I confided my dream of sorts right. to do this climb. <clears throat> And he said, well, it'll be there for you, you know. And I came back, and as soon as the weather got good, a climbing buddy from Newcastle, Kelly Thorpe, uh, he was, uh, he liked to climb, but it, it didn't matter if he actually did. He just loved to go out and hike mm-hmm. and climb. He was a perfect belayer. And so I went out and climbed Spider God. And that was... <clears throat> That was really a kind of a turning point because it was it was pretty hard slab, you know, mm-hmm. and I hadn't been climbing much, and so it was kind of an eye opener. I thought, well, gee, I can. Why don't I just do more of this? Yeah, because like Royal wrote that the prize is the first, mm. and I took that to heart. Yeah. And I became, and I still am greedy about this stuff. You know, there's these <laughs> yeah. things that I haven't told Chris Hirsch yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've pointed him a lot at a, at a lot of routes that I already had equipped and I just had not finished them. And of course he, I had the gear in a lot of these things. I'm talking about the sport area at Rushmore. Yeah. And I'd point them out to him and he'd just... Climbing. Oh, that was a nice climb. That was yeah. really fun. <laughs> and uh, so I'd go to follow it now, and I fall off the fourth move and couldn't get through it anymore. You know. Mm-hmm. So, but it was, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's. I really f- thought that doing first ascents was really important because that's the books, the English books, Royals books, um, Galen later on, yeah. and it just seemed like that was important. Yeah. Plus, I always loved coming up with odd, most people think they're odd root names, like Spider God. Right. And I don't, I can't remember where I got that name. Um, but it's a funny name. You yeah. Know? So. I think a lot of the names, you know, and you've heard me perform the, the cowboy poem yeah. Yeah, multiple cool. times. And, mm-hmm. and that, that's the inspiration for that is all of the names you Mm -hmm. and Todd and Steve and, you know, the other first ascensionists around here in Lander had Mm -hmm. such a poetic sensibility uh, to your names Mm -hmm. that it just led me into this. Wow. I have to use these, these names to, to make a greater, you know, a a comprehensive list of them that tells a story that is a poem, you Mm -hmm. know? So to me, the names mean a lot you know, so it's interesting that that was a that was a reason for you to go out and do these firsts, so you can give them these these fun names. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that taking those those first ascents, these relatively small things in Vidavu, lead into these much bigger things for you. And and I appreciate the way that in the book Big Walls it you start with all these little first ascents. You know, you talk about Todd and Renegade, which is mm-hmm. small in stature, but 
but much bigger in the grand scheme of things in Yos- in Yosemite, you know, in this place where these big walls are surrounding you, but this small thing means a lot. And you tell the stories of 4th of July crack and 11 cent moon and Vita Vu, um, and just what they meant toward your progression into these bigger things. Where did the big dream to do the four walls that you talk about in big walls, which are El Cap, uh, Proboscis, Mount Hooker here in Wyoming, mm-hmm. and uh, Half Dome. Where did the, the dream to do those big four walls originate i think the photos because like the head wall looked like photos that people have climbed right but they're you know 60 foot long on the ground type things um a lot of times i was inspired by if you could see a crack system that was pretty neat and also vitavu was quite quite a neat uh playground to learn there mm-hmm. especially the flares i really got into liking flares i think it's one of the best flares. places to learn crack climbing mm-hmm. anywhere and there were some roots some roots i did there that were almost as hard as say the the head wall mm-hmm. maybe even more technical mm-hmm. but it it wasn't you didn't have to worry about being scared so far off the ground of course right. you get used to that and then if you think about it, you can fall a lot farther safely than mm-hmm. you can in Vitavu. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I lost the track of so what we the, were talking about. You know, did that? Did the dream of those big four walls originate in Vitavu? Yeah, pretty much. Um, we'd sit there and, you know, again, watching, looking at photos, and you see, well, gee, that looks like part of such and so. Right. You know, why, you know. So if I can climb this 40 feet, mm -hmm. why can't I do that over and over and over? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, we talked about going out there a lot. And then um, Todd all of a sudden just started climbing full time, essentially. Right. um, Making money during hunting season. And also I was doing some slideshows, not like, we morphed into doing that, mm, but right. I did slideshows and sometimes, you know, I'd get to have somebody that give me 40 bucks or something to come see the slides. And Todd really took that to heart and especially watching Galen Rowell's show mm. because he didn't have a dissolve unit, but he had two slide projectors. You'd push a button and this one would light up right. and then this one and they didn't dissolve. They just click, 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 right, click, right. but it was pretty clever because you could have a stop action sequence of moves too. Mm. And that was relevatory to me. I thought, wow, that's really neat. Of course, then you had to get another slide projector, (laughs) you know? So you were thinking in terms of like, not only just, I want to do these things, but also logistically, how can we make it happen? How can we fund it? Mm-hmm. you know, creating these slideshows, the whole, the whole package was kind of being planned together. Is that right? Yeah. You kind of had to, it, they were hand in hand. If you wanted to try to make, you're not making money, you're just 
edging by for the most part. That's why right. it was. But now I think you can get, if you do a good job, I would think you could maybe not become wealthy, but yeah. you could, yeah. you know, stay on the road more. Yeah, for sure. And of course, sponsorship then was not very lucrative, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could buy gas and go here and there and live out of a van. But if there were some people, you know, as soon as uh, people like Lynn Hill, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming she's monetarily better off than, yeah, you know. But uh, I always thought it was great. Anytime a climber came with, uh, or an adventurer, mm -hmm. I just loved to see those slideshows. And it was so inspiring to me. And, and plus it was a lot of fun to go yeah. to different places. and For sure. Mm -hmm. Why these four walls? Why oh why those four roots? Well, the Salathay was, uh, had the, the pretty cracks and quite a history. And it seemed to me that Robbins and crew, uh, who did the second ascent of the nose, I think, um, picked their own out, you know, mm -hmm. and well, Chenard picked the path. Yeah. But I, it was a very clever linking of cracks. And it was just, it seemed they were so happy with that route. They didn't have to play, what, like half a dozen bolts is all. Right. And that in those days, you know, that was the last resort. Yeah. And nowadays it's just what you do. Yeah. And... It was just seemed like a great adventure. And of course, it was a completely different climb with regard to technique. You know, they weren't trying to free it. They just wanted to get up the thing. Right. But it was the same sort of adventure, even better for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, can you imagine being on El Cap before anybody else? Right. Except maybe the nose, you know? Yeah, just this giant just like, sea of... Wow. And they didn't know if they could get back down, which sure. to me, in a way, was kind of not true i mean if they had a dozen bolts still they could get down mm -hmm. you know but it's made for a better story yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, it's also why they derided the bolts they put in you mm -hmm. know they really thought it was a last resort or to rescue someone i guess but yeah was royal involved in all four of the walls in the book Uh, Salathay was Hooker. Uh, what was I'm? So, I'm see. I, I, it was the direct on Half Dome. Oh yeah, that was his route. And Proboscis, did he? Yes, all of those were Royal Robins. Okay, yeah, he picked out good routes. Yeah. Um, the uh, Hooker, I don't think they had any recons. You know, it's not a beautiful root line, right. you know, but it's a neat alpine wall. Mm -hmm. um, and then the others are amazing walls. And the uh, route he chose on Proboscis is, was really a cool route. In mm -hmm. fact, that's when Todd and I went up to climb, free climb Proboscis, it was the Royals, Royals route we thought of. Right. And that's the great Canadian knife. Just well, this... That what we chose was the Great Canadian Knife, which was a more modern thing. It took 
there weren't cracks right. in a lot of places. Just so we'd bigorette. Yeah, and we'd uh, get up them anyway. Um, but they were picking up these cracks, and it was to the right too. And then while we were there, I believe, yeah, some uh, other climbers, European climbers, came and. Yeah. I think well, Spanish climbers. Yeah, and they freed a little bit of a variant on Royal's route. Right. Um, it was fun. It's then, interesting. I hadn't thought of that your route on Proboscis was so much more of a modern thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's exactly what I was talking about on hitching your dreams onto someone else's until you kind of pick up enough speed to change the you know grow into your own philosophies and your own ethos and you know while royal likely never would have gone up to bolt this arete Mm-mm. on this big wall it's still his dream and adventure that led you into the same wall creating your own dream and mm-hmm. adventure i think so you know and royal or royal uh galen was with us of course and he was very alarmed when we decided to not <laughs> really? go on the robins and yeah. take this essentially blank. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't blank. I mean, for the most part, there were just several sportish yeah. uh, parts of it. Blank in terms of cracks. And, mm-hmm. and that's what most people And we, for. you know, we ate up something to get over to something, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so we did a lot of aid climbing to get to a good pitch mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and it was it worked great um yeah just the modern mm-hmm. new ideas that come out of following mm-hmm. someone else's adventure you and know, i would that's think what pushes that, this along i would think that people re- uh, repeat that and think it's yeah. pretty cool rude yeah you know i haven't heard of people doing that but i you know it's it's so striking yeah so and of course, we did look at that, and we also looked at to the dihedral, mm-hmm. to the left of it, and that is like climbing in a hothouse, except in the Arctic, it's really wet and mm. it never gets light, and yep. n- nobody would climb that. Yeah. I don't think, unless you know, two hundred years from now, when the world is all the water's gone and everything, you know, maybe. But that was a cool route. One of the things I see often today is this constant switching of of partners. You know, um, I see a lot of brands put together random teams of people to go climb a thing. And you and Todd had this 20-plus year partnership of climbing big important things together why did that why did the partnership with you and Todd work so well well first of all I always like to say and it was kind of true for a short time was he was a really good belay slave yeah because he was still learning and he hadn't done a whole lot outside of his family's climbing Mm -hmm. um but I think he just saw, wow, this is, first of all, it's really fun, you know. Yeah. 
um, we could at, at Vitavur, the Needles or Fremont Canyon or wherever we were, you could climb things that other people have done, learn from that, uh, dare to try some new routes. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you kind of have to dare yourself to do them because you, you're looking around and climbers can be pretty biting. You yeah. know, like you're not ready to do this. Right. You know, which I always say, well, you're never not too young to do it, you know. So what if you screw up? Mm -hmm. You know, um, even Royal put bolts in on occasion. Sure. You know, but. Um, the partnership, you and Todd, why'd it work? Well, we both had a lot of fun and we thought a lot of things were funny. Yeah. And. Was there a competition there at all? Between us? In the later years? No, yeah. I, I'm always kind of competitive, even if it's uh, the best person in the world. I always, you know, even if I'm not going to go up there and say, get down from there, I have to be the first one, mm -hmm. you know, but um, I was always jealous, still am of people. Like right now, I'm jealous of people that can lead 510. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe I did one the other day, but it was one move. It doesn't count. But uh, it, climbing is competitive, and yeah. it can be viciously so. Um, but I think we just had, we laughed a lot, you know, love to go different places, seeing new things. Or Todd was even more interested in repeating hard things too. Right. And uh, he was traveling quite a bit. And, you know, I, Karn was just a little kid then, so I couldn't really go a lot, you know. But that's a good thing to do is, to, you know, see what other people are doing. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of competitiveness. Oh, wow. In yeah. that. Yeah. You know? Look at the stigma. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, my God. Talk about international bickering, mm -hmm. you know, and people have improved on it. That's what climbers are supposed to do. You know? Yeah. I mean, you could say, oh, well, Royal Robbins and crew, South A doesn't count anymore, which is absurd. That was the coolest ascent it'll ever have. Mm -hmm. If they bolted the whole every six inches, it'd still be the coolest to do it first, you know? Right. Um, and I think there are a lot of people who would say what you and Ta did on it was the coolest and what you know Huden and Jones did on it mm -hmm. yeah they were followed by you and Todd was the coolest mm -hmm. um and it all just sort of depends on what it is we've decided we love about it and that's those are things built on the accomplishments of the people who came before mm -hmm. you know we we can only see so far into the future and what the what the next iteration of this thing looks like, mm -hmm. we can only see so far. You know, no one in 1970 was thinking about 515D. Mm -hmm. You know, which Alex Magos just did the second 515D in the world. Nobody thought about that back then because that was so far ahead. But they were thinking, you know, 13C. Mm -hmm. 13d 14a mm -hmm. those those things were starting to materialize a little bit and it's you know we think whatever that 
slightly earlier generation was is the coolest. Mm-hmm. You know, you think Royal's Ascent was the coolest, and mm-hmm. some people think your Ascent was the coolest. And well, you know, I would read these uh, guidebooks or listen to stories or uh, a magazine, and I remember I can't remember that. You know, Greg Lowe was an amazing mm. climber, and he did a lot of things that were way ahead of the standards. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he sought them out more than he would any other line, like, oh, that looks really cool. And there's a thing he did. I might be way off on this name, but there's a route uh, kind of over where T2 starts in okay. Colorado. And it might be called Clever Lever. Mm-hmm. And it th- I think they call it 512. And he just climbed it. Right. You know, and people say, well, that's not so hard. Well, that was 35 years ago or something, or maybe more. Right. And I think Backer was the first one to repeat it. And, you know, people of that talent, it's just really cool and inspiring. And, well, it can't be that hard. But I think he called it 510. Sure. You know. Yep. So, man. And never mind Jeff, but Greg, geez. Mm-hmm. He's kind of overlooked, but boy, he did some hard stuff, which was really inspiring. Yeah. Every, everywhere he went. And I know? think we all bring these interesting, different talents to it. Um, you know, you, you write in the book that up on the Salathe, you were kind of the choreographer and Todd was the dancer. Like you could come up with these clever sequences that, that Todd didn't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Todd was able to master them a little faster and mm-hmm. repeat them faster yeah. than you were. Um, and I think partnerships like that need that sort of, you know, different talents you know, you, you bring the, initially you brought the mentorship to it and Todd brought the, he's a good belay slave, you mm-hmm. know, and then years down the road, you're up on the Salathe and you're able to see the sequences that, that Todd's then able to execute. Mm-hmm. Um, I think good partnerships have to have those radically different talents in order to, to work. Yeah, and it, it it did work. I mean, it was, you know, like the uh, first pitch of the, uh, the, jeez, oh, the head wall. Oh, yeah, yeah. That first little pitch. Yep. Um, at that time, there was, there wasn't a bolt there. There was a piton down low, and you had to do the crux to get... And it was kind of scary there. To get you know? to the first pro? Yeah, and the first uh, actual crack mm. because there was a flare that kind of went over <clears throat> here and then a little swooping crack over here. And it yeah. was just a couple little crimpy things that was hard. But if you fell, you'd land on your blayer right. and then fall past him. Right. You know? And it was supposed to be my turn. Mm. And we'd top roped it before, um, 
And I just said, Jesus, I can't. I'm too chicken to do it right now, you know. So Todd just danced across it, and it mm. was like such a relief. Yeah. <laughs> the other one was fine, you know. We, that there's really good pro on that, and maybe people laugh about that now because you wouldn't get hurt. You might land on the belayer, but it wouldn't probably even hurt. But I thought it was just terrifying in in that spot, you know. Yeah. That's one point where I really was glad he. It might have been scary, but he, mm-hmm. you know. And having that partner to, A, to be able to admit, I'm, a, I'm too scared to try this right now, mm-hmm. you know. I think that takes a, a certain level of comfort that you build over 15, 20 years of partnership. You know, you're, there's, like you said, it's, it can be fiercely competitive. So if it's a new climber, someone you're not used to being on these big, dream projects with mm-hmm. it's a little harder to admit i'm scared to do this right now mm-hmm. yeah and later you might be because that but that was the case you know there were times when i i did a pretty good job of root finding and yeah move figure and outing mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh a uh, couple of them it, they just felt fell to him which was terrific mm-hmm. but i'll never forget that first part of the Salthay, it just spooked the hell out of me that morning, and I was delighted when he I got to top rope it. Yeah, and it, I didn't fall or anything. I had before, yeah. you know, on a top rope, but uh, that was fun, and then away we went. You know, it yeah. Was... Can we? So one of the things I love about Big Walls, the book, and I and I keep bringing that up because I don't know. Did Amy tell you anything about our plan? with with big walls with the book i don't think so so and maybe you can tell me a little about this story um and i'll just deviate here before i get back on track but so amy bought from you all of the copies of big walls that you had years ago and the story i've heard is that you were in some kind of financial need amy had a little surplus so she bought all the books up and those books, I would go into the old Lucky Lane gym and they're still sitting in boxes in there, you know. And I've always thought, wow, we should do something with these books, you know. And it's one of my favorite books of climbing adventure and big dreams and partnerships. And and it occurred to me that now I've built this business that you know, this podcast is essentially my marketing tool and I can, you know, tell people about interesting things that are happening or that are for sale or whatever through this. And why not talk to you about this, about these adventures and then sell people the book, you know, to help Amy out a little bit now that she's, she could use the help and to help the Todd Skinner legacy Mm -hmm. fund. Um, So that's kind of the, the impetus for all, all of this. And, and I've pulled the book out and been looking through it again. And one of the things I really love about it is that it starts out by telling the stories of these, these smaller climbs that could be viewed if you, you were just looking at the big things as insignificant. Mm -hmm. And then it builds into these bigger things and ultimately into, into you not, completely seeing the whole dream through Mm -hmm. um, on Half Dome when Todd is 
laser focused in on this this route that that you've both really wanted to do you know that and that may have been your dream initially through well, i campaigned that for el cap yeah um but it's a good thing we didn't because it would there are a lot more decisions to make there mm-hmm. and that's why i bailed is there were people watching us all the time right and it was just because they knew we were going up on that and you know Royal was criticized for using so many bolts on that, mm. which was nothing compared to. Well, Galen pointed out there were more bolts in that than on the nose or the Don Wall or something. Right. But, you know, every climb is different. Mm-hmm. And But anyway, I just finally, and I had, I had pressures at home. Yeah, you had just gotten married. Stuff like that. And it was, uh, I just became overwhelmed. Sure. And I still feel bad about it. You know, it's kind of a long time ago. Um, Why do you feel bad about it now? Well, because I felt, I still feel I abandoned him there Mm -hmm. to take, the climbing would eventually go. Yeah. But the acrimony and, you know, people hiking all the way up there to yell at you. And the way right. they did that on the Solitay, too. Sure. Hang dogs. John Sherman. He was the funniest <laughs> one. He was down on the street. And if it was the wind was right, you could hear, hang dogs. Hang dogs. <laughs> that doesn't and surprise me at all no. from Sherman. Well, you know, he uh, was really the one that got Todd interested in, and not so much as me. I went off. Uh, on the photos that I'd seen of that. I mm-hmm. thought, oh, that just looks so cool. But John had climbed the Solothay, mm. and he said to Todd, when Todd was working on the stigma, he said, well, geez, if you can climb that, um, you should go on the Solothay. Right. And he probably, sorry, said that, because he he always, you know, <laughs> ragged Todd and I anyway. You know, I was like John. I, I had a big blow up with John one time. I was really mad at him one day. And uh, I'm not mad about it anymore. I mean, it just, you know. And I don't know if he's still mad. I talked to him a little while ago, actually. Yeah. Uh, Taken aside, uh, here I live in my hometown, moved back, little bitty town. Yeah. I, I don't know if there are any active climbers there anymore. And I get a phone call from this lady, and they just bought this decrepit hotel they're remodeling. And she said... Uh, we have some mountain climbing pictures we found in the basement. They're slides. Hmm. And I don't know what to do with them. Would you like to have them? And I said, uh, well, okay. So I got this like three ring binder, you know, chock full of slides. Yeah. And I'm, you're going to have to help me here. But it was uh, a climb of the Trango Tower. Oh, really? And S- S- Rob Slater... Yeah. Is that it? he died on yep. K two. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm. Uh, my mind is going. Yeah. He so. was partner with Randy Levitt. Yes. Often yes. back then. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a good friend with uh, John Sherman. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here are all these slides. It was book. The it on the cover said something about this was the number third or second or first. Wow. He had thousands of slides of this, and and here is just this one. Well, apparently his brother had a, this 
girl that sold the building, they were a couple. Mm. And then they broke up and he, somehow he forgot these. And I said, geez, this is Rob Slater's, you know, some of this. I got to, and I didn't know who to give it to. So I called uh, Randy Levitt and also John Sherman and mm -hmm. just left messages. Yeah. And I got responses to the, from them and told me where to send slides for his brother. So I did. And I know he got it. He didn't reply, but John said, yeah, he got it. And that's good. And he was happy to have him. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. But in Newcastle, that's you know, so you're the mountain climber. We have some pictures you so might like funny. to have, you know. And if it had been somebody else, they might have said, oh, God. Yeah. You know? what, what's the point of these? Yeah. Let's pitch them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've bumped into John and Waco several times over the last few years and had some really fun entertaining conversations with that guy oh he's fun he's very sharp yeah and he's a really good climber and i had a couple run-ins with him but i've always liked john you know he might not know that but uh, <laughs> i really admire him he's, and i the the coolest i always thought when he first came up with the v grade with no yeah. limit yeah it should be that way for everything. Well, now it is, 515, right, right. whatever. Yeah, they used to be closed-ended mm -hmm. scales. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, when you get to... In, people even really got upset when they came up with 510. Because right. 510 is numerically the same as 51. Right. But I can't even add. So it doesn't make any difference to me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, God. I've never uh, balanced a checkbook. I've tried. Oh, I'm, I'm not. I'm just really bad at numbers. I'm not built for numbers. Mm -mm, me neither. Yeah. Golly. But anyway, wherever we were. But I think we were on Half Dome, mm -hmm. and you're still feeling bad about it, and kind of. Well, I hate to regretting leaving Todd up there. Yeah, yeah, and I just, but I just. You know something I thought about it when I was looking through the book again last night, it occurred to me that had you not left, then Nancy would have never gotten to be part of the story. Mm -hmm. Steve Bechtel wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten to be part of the story. Mm -hmm. And so I think you, you growing a different direction and, and feeling like, okay, I need to, I need to go handle these things. I need to take care of these things. Mm -hmm. Those are more important to me right now. Gave Steve Bechtel the chance to go and have this adventure with Todd. You know, and now with <coughs> hindsight being 2020, we can look back and see the you know, the major importance of being able to have those adventures now that Todd is gone. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a that's something Steve gets to hang on to forever. And essentially, mm -hmm. that was a gift from you because you could have stayed up there and oh, well, hogged it have to, to yourself. Talk to Steve about this. Yeah. It should, <laughs> Steve's going to owe you something for this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I didn't think about it that time. I was just very relieved yeah. that uh, other people stepped in. Yeah. Because I, I thought that wouldn't be as hard as it was. Mm -hmm. And then I had personal pressures that 
really slayed me. Sure. And that with the hollering mm-hmm. and, you know, just a bunch of, and I, I just, I never could understand that anyway. Was Todd just better at like putting his head down and forging ahead no matter what? Yeah. And I think he kind of, in a, in a way, masochistic way, kind of enjoyed it, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, we're, we're going to do this anyway, mm-hmm. you know, why not just try to ignore it? Sure. You know, um, but it was a, it was a good deal. It wasn't, I don't think it would be the most enjoyable route compared to others. Right. You know, just <laughs> razor shaped stuff. But, um, and that, that was, you know, the Warren Harding stick to it. Yeah. Todd Skinner stick to it. Yeah. On so many other projects, you know, and before mm-hmm. the renegade, man, that took a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's funny if you're trying to climb hard, it often works out that say it's five ten, you you know five eight's the hardest you've ever done. You're going to try to climb a technically difficult five ten, and you just work at it, work at it, work at it, like people did with clunky hiking shoes. Mm-hmm. You know all these things make a difference. But anyway, um, they finally climb it, and they find that uh, oh. I bet I can do another one. And then pretty soon that wouldn't have, you, you look back at it, you say, well, gee, that wasn't that hard because a lot of it's between your ears. You know, you're strong enough physically. You're just not believing it enough. Yeah. Even if you think you do, you say, I know I'm going to get this. Well, then why didn't you do it two weeks ago? It's not any easier, mm-hmm. you know? And I think most people that are trying to do hard things find that, you know, you'll fall off, hang there, you know, do it. Doggone it, come down, pull rope, go again, fall off, pull back up, easy. You know, it's, it's yeah. so mental, yep. you know? and I think it's, it's still that way. It's, it's going to be that way forever. Definitely is. Yeah. I think that's. One of the biggest parts of improving as a climber is learning how to how to sit within that that mental space mm-hmm. and understand it and grow into it. And there's some things, you know, you just climb them and it was so fun <clears throat> and so nice. And then you're doing a first descent and you climb it and it was so nice. And then there are those those ones that just keep slapping you. Yeah, just the hateful and ones. Why? You know, it's just it's just crazy, you know. And then all of a sudden you do it and. Well, you know, one of the, one of your roots actually was that for me, um, for, for a lot of summers before I lived here, I would come and I would try Atomic Stetson and, and it was always, it was a different move every year Mm -hmm. that slapped me down over and over and over. And I just had the hardest time mentally connecting it all together. Mm -hmm. You know, it never felt possible because there was always one move like I said, different moves that felt impossible to me that year. Mm-hmm. And then last summer, I thought, oh, I'll just try it again. And all of a sudden, I could just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just I was just ready. I wasn't physically stronger than I had been in the years past. I was just ready for it. It was kind of the same with me on that. You know, I could climb everything easily, but there was uh, about two-thirds of the way up or something. Mm-hmm. 
I would just fail. Yeah. You know, it wasn't any harder. It was just up in here yeah. between my ears. And uh, one day I was up there and there was a young couple climbing Baba Louie. Mm-hmm. And they they were asking me questions. So how would you climb that? So I said, well, um, maybe I can, can I, you know, would you blame me? And I went and climbed it and um, came down. And for some reason, it just thought, well, that looked, didn't look very hard. Right. But I'd done it 8,000 times. Mm -hmm. And so they went up and just one or the other climbed it. And they went, wow. You know, maybe it inspired him a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, heck, I'm here. I might as well give this thing a whirl again. And I just climbed it. And it was kind of a letdown. And yeah. it was also disappointing because <laughs> it took 39 years to do it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's funny how those things work. It is. You know, if you look up at Cerebrus or th this climb in the needles has so many names. Mm -hmm. And you tell the story of it in the book as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that meant so much to me. And it still does. I still climb that and I just think it's i do think it's a wonderful climb but uh being able to just climb that was the probably the coolest thing i've ever done and it's mm. five eight yeah know. i can five, climb that every day 40 you know? feet tall or something yeah uh, yeah it was just uh i just climbed it with james like three or four days ago nice so it was cool it was really neat that's the one where his shoes just, oh, that's where his, his shoes his were big poking toes out. were literally sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I'm just going to wear my shoes from now on. His hiking shoes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, Paul, I, I appreciate and always have your, your poetic sensibility in, you know, in writing about your adventures and, and your dreams and your successes and failures. And, and that's something I really appreciate about Big Walls, the book. And, and the people out there who are listening who haven't seen the book or haven't read the book should definitely pick it up. It's, it's filled with these poetic stories and musings and lessons, uh, you know, that you've learned from routes both big and small easy and hard. Um, and I think that, you know, the idea that there's something to learn from all of it and that something 40 feet tall and five, eight can be the coolest thing you've done when, when your resume includes the first free ascent of the Salathe or of Mount Hooker or proboscis, the great Canadian knife, you know, among hundreds and thousands of other things is just such an important lesson to keep in mind. So, you know, I appreciate you putting your words out there. I, I'm glad you're going to continue to put those stories out, get those stories down so that we have them. And, and I appreciate you sitting down today and talking. Oh, it's fun. You talking. know, <clears throat> I always like talking to climbers and, uh, it's really nice. First of all, it's a camaraderie. And oftentimes you'll learn, and they'll tell you that, wow, I, there's this super cool place. 
Yeah, look yeah, around. And it's really good. Make and sure no one's paying attention. As soon as you leave them, you go do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I very. That's why you're keeping your location secret for now. Yeah. There's a lot of. <laughs> if you think about Royal Robbins, too, he was very possessive about mm, things, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but if it were a friend, I probably wouldn't try to snag the root. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, I'm. But there have been instances where uh, people did jump in, and I've pointed out a lot of roots, or they've just found them and climbed them. Mm -hmm. You know what? It doesn't matter. There's so dang much rock out there. Still finding it. And I still, I still see stuff, and I think, man, golly, look at that. We should do that. You know, I haven't done them yet, but yeah, there they are. You're just a climber for you, life no matter what. Yeah, you, you know, and you, gosh, you learn so much. Sometimes you learn, you know, if you're, there's something you have in your head and you also have this climb in your head and you do it, and then all of a sudden the other thing that has nothing to do with climbing you figured out, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Maybe it's because your bra- brain has let go of two problems, you know. Now there's only one. Oh, okay, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I have a copy of my book here for you that came out this year that oh. that is a lot like that. It's, you know, kind of lessons you can take from climbing into yeah. the the rest of your life and where your book is, you know, full of inspiration and hope, mine kind of points out all the excuses and doesn't let you have them. So they're different <laughs> in that sense, but <laughs> But yeah, that you know, climbing is such a a great metaphor for the rest of your life so yeah my family thought you know my folks i know thought it was a waste of time mm-hmm. but i'd do it again yeah. you know and it, these people say well this solithe has been already free climbed and and in better style now and it'll be better 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 yet in fact that uh alexandra adam andra yeah. yeah watching that deal where he just and yeah. I, I said oh god yeah he's gonna get to that boulder problem and and that it you can get in a pod and rest mm-hmm. but it's a tricky little thing and then he took that very safe fall yeah but it was a and like tommy too on screaming and yelling fall oh yeah, yeah. but still like wow yeah I, I just thought all of those films are super cool mm-hmm. now i know i'm changing the subject but when I watched the free solo, yeah, <laughs> oh jeez, I just I now just thinking about it, my stomach feels like I'm gonna throw up. I know, and uh, oh, having been on some of those pitches myself, it I just can't fathom having the mental clarity, bravery, control to to go up there and do what he did. Well, you know that the. the part that is is even worse for me because you know uh the 513 crux he did Mm -hmm. we looked at that but we figured we could get that little blank move or two to get into the uh, Mm -hmm. anyway the endurance corners just below that Mm -hmm. holy cow i thought you know oh gosh we're coming from bidavu we can do some flared laybacking man yeah I, todd didn't have too much trouble with it but i just i don't know if it was it had to be mental because i just was 
man, I fell off that three times. Mm. You know, go back down. It's like, and Alex is just resting there. Yeah. You know, just so calm. Yeah. And I'm just about to puke. You know, <laughs> I've watched that three times and I just go, oh my God. Next time I'm going to fast forward through that. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's the slabs down low that are the scariest. They, mm. they feel so insecure and. I just can't imagine climbing without a rope through there. I went uh, way off the first time I climbed the free blast, and I was just way out, mm. and I had to climb down, and that was very, you know, it had my attention. Yeah. Here's another thing I'm just curious. Um, do they still have those big bashies that big? Flat? Not that I know of. There were they look like tin foil uh, pie pans. Yeah, the bashies had been pounded so much they were literally this big, totally flattened out, and maybe some others banged on them, which I don't, you know. Hmm. And I just thought, boy, this is this was when people were still really raging about on wolves. the free blast or mm -hmm. up higher on the free blast. Yeah, I don't. I climbed the free blast in maybe early 2000s and i don't remember seeing them i just wondered and i wondered how to get them off like take yeah. free on up there and get yeah. it really cold and try and get a screwdriver behind uh -huh. but they were so weird permanent to me i don't know hmm. and people were you know there were people upset about that but i don't know what well, you there do. was there were no little slings in them or anything mm -hmm. they were just just pieces of metal smashed mm. into the wall Really, and, and, and no worse than all the other things climbers smash into the wall. Yeah. I was just curious. You know? For sure. So, well, I've got to get over and get things set up with Amy here soon. But yeah, well, uh, I appreciate you sitting down and taking the time. I'm happy to do it. I left this conversation with Paul to go record the memorial for Amy Skinner's mother, Lucille Whistler, who was also someone who really welcomed me in and made me feel like family here. And that drove home this idea of, you know, capturing the voices of the people that, that we're going to lose someday. And I thank Paul so much for sitting down and for having this conversation. Uh, it means the world to me. And hopefully I get to have more of these when I go climb with Paul. Uh, over in the needles and and I'll give those to you guys if I'm able to get them and in the meantime like I said we've got Paul's Big Walls book signed copies a limited number of them the link is right there in your show notes in your pocket supercomputer all of those proceeds go to Amy Skinner and to the Todd Skinner Legacy Fund so check those out if you have not yet registered for Rocktoberfest. It's this weekend. Lana and I are having climbing trivia prizes for that. It's going to be a ton of fun. And then I'm going to have a conversation with Ashima Shireshi around her, what she's doing these days. Um, she's got some great initiatives supporting diversity in the climbing community that she's been working on that I'm excited to talk to her about. All right. I am running before Lana gets here so I can look like I've been doing things that she wants me to be doing. 
You guys know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, at powercompanyclimbing. I think we're still on the Pinterest. I don't really know. I don't think Lana even knows at this point. Maybe I'll bring that up with her. Or maybe not, because I don't really want to be yelled at today. However, you cannot find us on the Twitters, because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. You said that, like, I'm only 34. But a lot of people say, well, I can't do that because I'm 34. Yeah. Yeah. And that happened on the Solithay. These guys were, uh, climb- I think we came through them, and then we sat on the block, which is about three-fourths of the way up, I think. And they were saying, this one guy goes, well, yeah, you young guys. Well, I was six years older than he was, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I always think that kind of thing is funny. Yeah. I yeah. So. yeah. I'll be 46 this year. Is yeah, that right? Uh-huh. Be 46 this year. And I've climbed the hardest things I've ever climbed in the last couple of years. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know when I'll slow down, but mm-hmm. I don't see it happening in the next few years anyway. Yeah. Well, I just reached the point where I had to re- get a real job. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no decision. Yeah. Right. And, uh, um, it's fine. Yeah. Yep. You know, I, I, I would like to climb a little harder and maybe I, I certainly can climb harder than I'm climbing now, but even if I don't like this five, eight that James and I did the other yeah. day, that's the most significant climb I've ever done. Yeah. And I probably climbed it 50 times, yeah. maybe probably more. Yeah. And I like it every time it's, you know it made me when you said that it made me think of double or spurs i remember when i first started sport climbing and we came back to visit lander i had the project double or spurs and i remember feeling hard and intimidating and, and i remember the joy of getting to those easy last bolt sections the tippy top and just how awesome that was and now we still it's the, the warm-up Mm-hmm. Every time it feels so good to do that route, mm-hmm. maybe better than some of the projects yeah. mm-hmm. that I've worked on since. Yeah, it still is like one of the best routes. So, some projects aren't fun at all, <laughs> you know. Not even a little bit. And yeah. a, and some are, you yeah. know, and but they are all are still good for you, yeah. you know. And sometimes it's, you know, you think God. 
should have kept working on that, you know? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. there are sometimes you're saying, I shouldn't have ever started that. But all, <laughs> on the other hand, there are times when you think, gee, well, I think in your mind it thinks, well, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it isn't. It's just yeah. move on. Dang. It's funny. Climbing is never just simple. It's, there's so much mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally tied into it that can change your mindset or your perspectives or mm-hmm. what you believe you can do for whatever weird reasons. Yeah. And I remember again going back to the black and white picture days, seeing uh, Don Willens and Chris Bonington on this motor scooter. <laughs> you know, driving all night to mm-hmm. go up to go to Wales and climb something or or go or go to the Alps and yeah. those black and white adventures are just magic to me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think, gee, I wish wish I could have been there to do that. Yeah. But we all get to do that. It's just yeah. a different yeah. climb, you know. Yeah. yeah. And a different different, different era, yeah. yeah. Better shoes. That's the thing, you know. Yep. I think of all the, you know, cl- shoes just really make it, you know. It doesn't matter what brand it is, you yeah. know. Golly, they... Man. Comfort. When my feet are comfortable, it's not the pain in my feet holding me back, that's for sure. Well, I have... I used to wear 37s, and when Amy wore hers out, or decided they were stretched out, which were 35s, I would take those. Because I really liked those, mm. especially this one brand. They never made these shoes. They were just kind of, it was before 510 made 510s. Yeah. They were just making the tennis shoes then. Mm. And it was uh, an Oslo product, I think. Yeah. And I still have this pair that I did some really neat climbs in. I thought, I still think they were a really good shoe, but, and I still have them. They're probably, if you try, actually got them on, they'd tear. <laughs> you know. But I, now I'm wearing, I think, 41 or twos. Yeah. yeah. And I got them here at a climber's festival. Yeah. And yeah. I haven't been climbing much, so they last better that yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, <laughs> my first pairs of climbing shoes were those old Boreal lasers, mm-hmm. you know, the pink and black ones. And and I think they were size, in U.S. sizes, they were size five and a half. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the the theory was if you can get your foot in it, yeah, it doesn't matter how long it takes or how bad it hurts. If you can get your foot in it, then it fits. Mm-hmm. And now I wear a size nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have to, uh, I used to buy them and soak them in a bucket mm-hmm. over and then wear them wet. Yep. Because the, the rubber doesn't get wet. It's, yeah. you know, and it, even the synthetic stuff they use now, it, it works. I have a pair. Four years ago, I bought some uh, Euras, and they're the women's ones, Mm -hmm. the gray ones. Yep. And uh, I always figured, I've worn a lot of women's climbing shoes, never other garments of theirs. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) okay. But um, 
I just soak them and it seemed like the next day they were fine. Mm-hmm. You know? But at this one pair, I soaked them again when James and I were climbing and I just didn't have the jib to put my feet in them and climb. I figured, I, not climbing, I don't have to have the tightest shoes in the world. They're, they're oh. still too tight, yeah. you know? Yeah. But. I still shoot covered. Yeah, me too. Pretty much any time. Wait, Paul, before you go, tell me what Amy was like as a climber when she was like at her strongest. Oh, kind of the same. You know, when she smiles and she's happy? Yeah. That's the way she was. Yeah. I mean, that she has a wonderful, well, like your smile now. It's very similar. Yeah. Um, and she could get really happy about not just in fact when she did some of the hardest climbs she ever did I, I don't think she was smiling as much you know because yeah it was maybe later it was but it was kind yeah. of a relief i think yeah. that's true with hard projects yeah. anyway yeah. Um, but i think that was well that's one of the things i liked about amy is she can really beam Although she can also go the other direction. Yeah. You know, I've seen her sort of kind of yeah. homicidal. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And I've seen her also so upset she cried. Yeah. On the roof? Yeah. After falling off for a, like the 20th time or something, you know. Yeah. yeah. But. I think everybody does that if they really have a project that's a true project. Really invested in it. And I think everybody knows it's it's a mental thing. The reason you can't climb it, like hard climb, you kept there's one move that you just cannot or sequence you can't go through, and you fall off, get right back on, and it's five eight. You know. I, I suffer from suffered from that a lot. It's so tough. Oh, yeah. It's so tough. The other day, James and I climbed a, a pinnacle right off the highway. It's called Dave Rerick did the first ascent, mm-hmm. and Bob Camps named it Dave's Dingy. D i n <laughs> Dave's D i n g h e y the, the boat, and uh, it's a really fun. 5-8 up until the crux, and it's one move. And when I, Ren belayed me the first time on it, and I had just purchased a brand new, these new boots they had, they were royal blue with red laces, mm-hmm. royal robin's boots, you know. You were fast. Oh, man. <laughs> and I, I still don't know at my skill there how I got through this. It's the last move to pull onto the summit. And there there are no there's a great hold here. A great hold here. Yeah. It's slightly overhanging. Yeah. And there's nothing there. You just have to smear your feet oh, and stand up. Oh. And <laughs> I was quite pleased to get up that thing. Yeah. And I every time I go there, I bet I've I think I've only done it four times in my life because I was spooked by that. <laughs> And I, this year I've climbed it two out of the four times. And now I just think, you know, I have these shoes that if you look online, they're $200. Yeah. Yeah. And these were old, hard. Put your feet up and stand up. And so I do. 
-hmm. You know, just do it quick. Don't think about it. Yeah. Oh, and there's a bolt right here. You reach up and clip, clip a bolt. Um, I was I was quite chuffed the other day. I just stood up and did it. <laughs> <laughs> and here That's comes amazing. James with his toes sticking out, yeah. you know. Oh yeah, he just climbed up it, yeah. you know. He didn't have that memory associated with that move. Mm -mm. Right. It's true when you do there's a hard there's hard moves on anything that you have every time you get there. Yeah. Devil wears spurs makes you think at the bottom every time. Devil wears spurs is a fifty fifty chance that I'm gonna send it or not send at all every time I get on it, no matter when, what point in the season, <laughs> how strong I am, what else I'm climbing on. Mm -hmm. If I'm gonna send it or not, it's fifty fifty every time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, if you, what's your favorite climb here? No, it doesn't matter how hard or anything. It's hard to, I know, it's really hard around here because there's so many good climbs. I mean, I mean, I think Devil Wears Spurs is a huge contender. My last sport project was Ribbon Rattlesnakes. Mm -hmm. And that one, just because it was Amy's route and it was amazing. But it was hard emotionally. That was a tough route. Yeah. I, I've had to work at it for quite a while to to believe mm -hmm. in myself, to get through each, because it was pretty sustained. Mm -hmm. There was never a point where I was like, okay, it's done. Jug mm -hmm. haul to the finish. No. Mm -hmm. There was no jug haul to the finish. See, I, that'd be in my top three, probably. I, yeah. It was, it, I think it's probably one of the best routes I've climbed at Wild Air in mm -hmm. winter. Yeah, that was really good. Why do you ask? What were you going to say? I don't know. I just... Oh was curious yeah. you know Rattlesnakes. Yeah. I, I can't say what the other two would be because they're so good but I wind and rattlesnakes popped into my head yeah. it was phenomenal Paul. phenomenal I really love hang fire at Fossil Hill do you ever climb that route Paul? I don't know I, I, I forget 12a so long left of the wall where Cubans hit the floor and those are I uh, I don't know it's a good one just a fun boulder problem great stance boulder problem great stance hmm. boulder problem great stance all the way up really I, fun. I will tell you every year Lavaca Pelagrosa <laughs> yeah, that, route that is, is such a great perfect. route yeah. it's the most perfect happy sport route that ever was <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good Red Rider, yeah. The other, about a month ago, I was, a friend and I climbed this, uh, I think it was 5'7 or something. Anyway, it was really cold. It, it wasn't supposed to be cold, and the wind came up in the afternoon. It was just freezing. <laughs> and the, it it was all of a sudden 5'7 with, between the decimal point and the 7, there was a 1. God, it felt hard. Yeah. And uh, these young climbers used to climb with this one guy's dad show up. And they said, oh, we, we climbed um, Buckshot Eyes and a Purple Heart. I said, man, that was hard. That is not 510. <laughs> and Craig, my climate partner, and he said, uh, yeah, that's hard. And I said, well, what is it? What's that crack? face thing on bell tower oh when they were 
looking at me, you know. And I said, well, I can't remember what I said. And I asked something. I said, well, <clears throat> what is its name again? And they said, well, it's your root. You know, and that happens to me all the time anymore. Yeah. I forget, you know. I said, that's a really neat name. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> now I realize that's it's a uh, Tom Waits. I get a lot yeah. of Tom Waits. I love Tom Waits. I do too. Chris does. Yeah, as soon as you said it, I knew it was Tom Waits. Yeah. You know what, Roots, I would really like to do, though, someday that feels classic. Is, that, is it Blue Moon or Harvest Moon? I forget. Blue Moon. Blue Moon. Mm. Did you do Blue Moon, Paul? I don't. Oh, you must have warmed up on it. I don't know. I've climbed a lot of things up there. I'm. I'm. I really am kind of scary. I'm losing my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have to keep a track. That's <laughs> okay. It's kind of scary. That this is a kind of run out. You, you know, you don't ever get pro. Yeah. Yeah. I think Deb thought I was just not listening to her, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then we went to these doctors a couple times. They said, well, there's nothing we can do, yeah. you know? So you so just have to... I just, you know, I'll just be right sitting right. on the bench feeding birds, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do that anyway when I'm in yeah. my early 30s, so yeah. I do that by choice. Yeah. <laughs> With a naughty lap dog that barks at all Yeah, you got it. Oh, is that right?